Let's lift up our hands and our hearts unto God right now. We love you, Lord, and praise your name. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We give you glory and honor. Amen. You may be seated tonight in the name of the Lord. Doesn't it feel good in the house of God? Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I thank God that he blesses us. I thank God that he will bless us. You know, we don't deserve any of his blessings. But God is a good God. And we give him all of the praise. Amen. Why don't we just clap our hands one more time under the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, we're going to look into the Word of the Lord tonight and uh, just want to cover a, a, just a very important topic in the Scriptures that uh, I think is very important for us to understand and to teach about uh, on an ongoing basis so that we never uh, get away from the understanding of it. Uh, it is a foundational tenet of uh, who we are as uh, the apostolic church. And so I want to talk to you tonight about baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. And I want to just strengthen your hand in teaching it, strengthen your understanding of why we do it. It is a separating factor. Uh, it does indeed separate us from so many uh, people. Because if you, if you recall, uh, there was a little thing called the Protestant Reformation that took place. And, uh, of course, we understand that uh, throughout the ages, uh, there was a very uh, dark uh, and uh, sinister period where that, uh, where that the uh, gospel of Jesus Christ was greatly distorted and misunderstood and where that the word of God was not available. Uh, it was locked down and chained up and placed in large cathedrals, and it was a big book written in a language nobody understood but a select few. Uh, but there was a reformation that occurred where people began to see the word of the Lord in their own language, and when they read it, they realized that what they were practicing was so far from what the scriptures had prescribed for their lives. And there was a tremendous uh, there was a tremendous departure uh, from the Roman Catholic Church. Of course, that became known as the Protestant Reformation. It was a protest of what had been taught and, 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 and a departure from uh, many of those false doctrines. Well, there was one final piece to that departure that, that came to light at the beginning of the 20th century, and it was a return to the way the apostles baptized. And, for, uh, and, and yet for many, they just could not bring themselves to depart from that tradition. Uh, the tradition of baptizing in the titles of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost was something implemented in the third century. It was not something practiced by the apostles. It was not something that was practiced by the early church, it was practiced by, uh, by Constantine who instituted it in the third century. Uh, I'm not even uh, teaching Bible right now, I'm just teaching history. Uh, Constantine implemented this practice of baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, made it official, and, and Christianity, of course, fell into the traditions uh, that followed, traditions that were very pagan in their origin and they departed from many of those traditions and most of those traditions through the protestant reformation and in the ensuing time that followed the the outset of the protestant reformation however this baptismal formula that was concocted by constantine was uh practiced even at the as early as the 20th century and is still practiced today but it is not a scriptural uh, way to baptize. The scriptural way to baptize is found in the book of Acts. And that's what we're going to be looking at. And we're going to also look at Matthew chapter 28 and make sense of why, what Jesus was talking about and how it was fulfilled in the book of Acts. 
Uh, we do not uh, seek a quarrel with anybody. Uh, we're not trying to act superior to anybody, uh, but we will be true to the Word of God and let the Word of God be our light and be our source of understanding. Amen. So we're going to begin where the, uh, where the Bible begins, Acts chapter 2, in regard to uh, the response to the question, what shall we do? This is the first time that Jesus is preached following the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 2, it was so very vital, very important, uh, because the Holy Ghost had been poured out. Uh, people had, been, had received the gift of the Holy Ghost. We'll get into that here in a moment. Uh, but this was such a stirring experience and a glorious moment that it, it came to be that, that Peter actually had to stand up and explain to those that were gathered what it was they were witnessing. And in so doing, he preached Jesus, and he preached the resurrection from the dead, and he preached the guilt of those who had crucified Jesus. And in, as he did this, their heart was pricked. They were pricked in their heart. And that's what the preaching of Jesus will do. It will prick the heart of the hearer. They were pricked in their heart in verse 37. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They had just learned through the preaching of the apostle Peter, and I'm going to read to you some of what he said, because we, I don't want us to gloss over what Peter actually preached on the day of Pentecost. Uh, let's just get right into it, okay? I said we're going to get to that a little bit later, but I'm going to get into it right now. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling at Jerusalem. This is important. Jews, devout men. This is important right here. This is very important. Out of every nation under heaven. In Jerusalem, there were devout Jews that were out of every nation under heaven. When this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and they were confounded. They were confounded for one reason. Because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So these were Jewish people who were, who were scattered abroad and came out of every nation under heaven and they heard that the Holy Ghost had been poured out in the upper room. And when they walked into the upper room to see what was happening, they were confounded because they heard people speaking in tongues. And they were speaking in the languages that these devout Jews out of every nation under heaven came from. These were educated people who spoke multiple languages. And they were all amazed in verse 7 of Acts chapter 2. And they marveled. And they were saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? These are all people. I, I know these folks. These folks, they don't speak the language I was, that I speak from my, where I was born, the nation where I come from. I know old Joe. Joe doesn't speak my language. And Joe, you'd think he was a teacher of my language, the way that he's speaking it. And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, in Judea, Cappadocia, in Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues. And they're not just having casual conversation. They're speaking in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Hallelujah. They were all amazed and they were in doubt, saying one to another, what 
meaneth this? Everybody say this. What meaneth this? Very important word. I'm going to come back to these things that I'm referencing in a moment. But hold on to that word, this. We're about to, we're about to uh, deal with it a little more deeply. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. So there are these other folks there who do not speak multiple languages. They are like me. They speak one language. And they walk in and they hear everybody speaking in tongues. And instead of being, being confounded and amazed and marveling and investigating, they just write it off like, ah, oh, they're drunk. I know exactly what I'm looking at. These folks are drunk out of their minds. These men are full of new wine. At that, Peter decided, I need to bring some clarity to this situation. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. In verse 15, he looks at the crowd who said, They're drunk. And he said to them, these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Verse 16, he looks at the crowd who speaks multiple languages and heard these men speak in their tongues wherein they were born, the wonderful works of God. And he looks at this crowd and said, but this, everybody say this, He's actually answering a question that was posed. The question was, what meaneth this? He's answering that question. This, the speaking in tongues, the declaration of the wonderful works of God in the languages wherein you were born, this, this, this. You asked what this means? I'm going to tell you what this means. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. This is what the prophet Joel said, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your, on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before that great and notable day of the Lord come, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, that is what you're witnessing right now. That's what this is. This is that. When he said this is that, he was taking the experience of speaking in other tongues and linking it to the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. They are inseparable. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost is accompanied by the act of speaking in tongues the wonderful works of God. In verse 22, he begins to preach a marvelous masterpiece concerning Jesus Christ. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain him, whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. For David speaketh concerning him, meaning Jesus, the man, Christ Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he is on my right hand that I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Okay. He is quoting a psalm. He is quoting an actual psalm that David wrote. And he is explaining to them in the upper room that David was not speaking of himself. He was speaking concerning Messiah to come. And he was describing the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Messiah. He then moves 
into verse 29 to say, Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. David, being a prophet, having been told by God with an oath that it would be a descendant of his who would be the Messiah. This is why when Jesus came onto the scene, they would call out to him, Jesus, thou son of David, because he was the Messiah. And David knew that it would come from the fruit of his loins, this Messiah, who God would raise up to sit upon David's throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ. That his soul was not left in hell. Neither his flesh did see corruption. Peter is pointing out that David was prophesying the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When David said, thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer your holy one to see corruption. Peter is explaining to them in the upper room that David was, was describing that the body, the physical literal body of Jesus Christ would rise from the dead and would not see corruption. And he would not be left, his soul would not be left in hell. And that this was foretold by the psalmist prophet David. This Jesus, verse 32, God hath, hath God raised up whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, that referring to his power, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. He is describing that the Lord God Almighty was manifest into the flesh of man and is the Messiah, Jesus the Christ who lived a perfect life, died the death of a transgressor, was buried in a borrowed tomb, and was raised from the dead, and is set by the right hand of God, not as a separate physical person, but as the power of God. We're talking about the man, Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand until... I make thy enemies thy footstool. This action and operation of the man Christ Jesus will be in effect until death is swallowed up in victory. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. O oh, death, where is thy sting? O oh, grave, where is thy victory? Thanks be to God who hath given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He will be in operation as the man Christ Jesus until death is swallowed up in victory. In other words, until Jesus comes back. The Bible says that the Son at that time will deliver the kingdom to the Father. That God may be all in all. He is not an eternal Son. He is manifested, God manifest in the flesh, and he is the only begotten Son of God for the purpose of redemption. And once redemption has been sealed, and we are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, resurrected from the dead, hallelujah, and we live with him and reign with him, ladies and gentlemen, there is, there is not an eternal Son position he is one God, and he is, he is made to be the only begotten Son of God so that he can bring all things unto himself, reconcile the world unto himself. He makes you and I the sons of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Therefore, Peter says, therefore, because of all this, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord 
and Christ. He's both God and Messiah. He's both Jehovah and he's Messiah. Now, when they heard this, I'm going to tell you something, folks. This is the message that pricks the heart. Not just any old message will prick the heart of a human being. The heart of a human being can be a very hard heart. It can be a very calloused thing. People's hearts have been broken. He have healed the wrong way. They've been shattered and torn and, 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 and fractured. And when they come into the house of God, they need to have their heart pricked. When I say that, I don't mean we need to get up and beat them up. All we need to do is preach the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what pricks the heart. And it can break through any seemingly impenetrable callous that may exist in their heart. The gospel of Jesus Christ can break through any kind of an obstruction that the enemy may have placed in the human soul. They were pricked. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They weren't tantalized. They weren't impressed. Hmm. They've really got a nice system here. And you know, I really, like, I really like all the little amenities of this upper room church. That's, that's, not what, that's not what brought salvation to them. And of course, we certainly want to have amenities that help people. But I'm going to tell you, we can have all the amenities in the world. But if we're not pricking the heart with the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what matters. That's what's important. And it was when they heard this that they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, and here's the big ask, the big question, what shall we do? They've just learned that they crucified the Messiah, that they rejected the Messiah, that the long-awaited Messiah has come and you crucified him. He rode in on the donkey. He fulfilled every prophecy of Moses, of Zechariah, of Joel, of David. He was the long-awaited Messiah. And what did you do? You nailed him to an old rugged cross. You did it with wicked hands. You have crucified him. With wicked hands, you have slain him. You rejected the Messiah. In other words, the door was open and you slammed it shut. And they were pricked in their heart and said, what shall we do? And when they ask the question, what shall we do? I'm going to tell you something. This is the first time that question gets answered. This is the precedent for every time that question gets a response. We don't have the authority to come in and tinker with how to respond to that question. When that question is asked, what shall we do? We don't get to come in with some kind of a new religious jargon, something that appeals to this generation, something that doesn't offend people, something that doesn't get people ill at ease, something that doesn't really cross with people's traditions. We must tell people the truth. When they ask, what shall we do? We have to respond by saying exactly what Peter said. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. We must share with them the truth of the word of God. It is, it is an affront to Scripture to deviate from what Peter said in this text. It is an insult to the gospel of Jesus Christ to try to satisfy some religious tradition so that we can be more accepted by, quote, mainstream Christianity, unquote. I'm not concerned about being accepted by mainstream Christianity. I want to be accepted by my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, we can talk, they, they, people talk about, well, accept the Lord as your personal Savior. That's not found in the Word of God. What's amazing is that He would accept us. Now, I understand 
that you have to come to a, a place of, of wrapping your arms around the Lord. That's done in repentance. That's done in baptism in Jesus' name. That's not just a mental acceptance or some kind of a, of a place that you arrive at in your mind where you, where you think, okay, I'm going to accept him or even say I'm going to accept him. It is, it is an action. It's not, a, it's not an act of fleshly works. It is an act of faith. And faith without works is dead. So, so there is an action that is called upon from you by the Lord when he says repent. That is an action. It is a turning away from one's sinful behavior. We love to quote 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Great verse of scripture. We should quote it. We should practice it. But, but we often practice it in, in, uh, in a half-hearted effort. So many times we'll, we'll, we'll practice the act of praying. We'll even practice the act of maybe humbling ourselves. Or we might get real spiritual and practice the act of seeking his face. But, but, but it's important that you go forward and complete all of it. Because you can pray, humble yourself, seek his face, and never turn from your wicked ways. And it's not until you pray, humble yourself, seek his face, that you turn from your wicked ways. And, and let, me just, let me break it down what I'm trying to tell you. The goal of this is to turn from your wicked ways. Praying, humbling yourself, and seeking his face is what prepares you to be able to turn from your wicked ways. You can't turn from your wicked ways on your own. Your flesh is incapable. Haven't we proven that to ourselves by now? We mess up, we stumble, we bumble, we crumble, we tumble. We are so incapable. We make up our mind, oh, I'm going to do good. We'll come down to the altar and cry and say, Lord, I'm going to do better than I've ever done before. Walk right out of this place and do it all over again. So he said, pray and humble yourself and seek my face. And if you will genuinely do all of those things, pray, humble yourself and seek his face, you will Turn from your wicked ways. That is repentance. Now understand, I love it when people thoroughly repent of their sins. When they come down to an old-fashioned altar. I like calling it that, an old-fashioned altar. Where people, people used to take their drug paraphernalia and throw it up on the altar. I don't want this anymore. People used to take, go out to their car and bring boxes of cigarettes and lay them up. I don't want this anymore. They're just going to turn from it all. And, and, and I've, I watched one man who came to the altar on an Easter Sunday morning. And he prayed and he wept. He was a backslider. He prayed and he wept asking God to forgive him and his heart was so smitten within him because of the remorse and the regret that he had concerning his past that he prayed all Sunday afternoon and when we came back to service Sunday night he was still weeping saturating the altar with his tears because he was so broken and, and that is beautiful to see there is when somebody truly truly feels their heart pricked and they repent of their sins it's a life-changing experience but the real repentance is the turning from one's wicked ways. That's real repentance. So, so in theory, a person can actually repent without crying. Some people come down and cry and think that that's the same as repenting. They feel bad for what they did. That's the same as repenting. No, 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 no. You can cry all day long and not repent. The goal is to turn from your wicked ways. And notice what the word of the Lord says. The word of the Lord says that, that the wicked, if they turn from their wickedness, I will remember their wickedness no more. Did, did you hear what I said? I'm wondering if you heard what I said because when I hear and think of the goodness of Jesus, it makes me want to shout and dance and run. He said the wicked, if they'll return from their wickedness, I will remember their wickedness no more. Hallelujah. This is the, this is the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so somebody can, somebody can be sitting in their 
in their pew and, and they can be pricked in their heart. And I listen, we make an altar call because there's something good about when people leave their seat. It is a liberating uh, experience that happens. That's why I encourage even saints, come on down to the altar so that people don't think they're the only ones. You know, you know, you know when you walk in and the preacher just read your mail up one side and down the other and it says, all right, if that's you, come forward. And you're like, oh man, I can't do that. So, so you need to come on down too even if, even, if, even if you don't feel like it was pinpointing you so that they will feel comfortable to come down. And then, and then they, will, they will realize, oh, I'm not the only one here who has a need. I'm not the only person here who has a problem. So then they make their way down, and that's great. That's wonderful. And, 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 and it, there's a liberating experience there where when they do come down, they're able to experience the presence of the Lord, and then the tears do flow, and they, and they begin to give their heart to God, and they, and they begin to, to, to confess their repentant heart to the Lord. But, but I'm going to tell you something. In actuality, a person can be sitting in the back of the church and the word of God can prick their heart and they can, they can decide right then and there, Lord, I'm never doing it again. I'm turning away from my wicked ways. And it's, that is repentance. But repentance is not complete until you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says repent and he didn't say repent or. He didn't get up and say There's, there are plenty of ways you can go about this. First, we got our plan A. And then we got the deluxe. And then we got the premium package. That's not what he said. He said repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. The blotting out of sins. The washing away of sins. The sins are remitted. They are removed. They never happened in the eyes of God. They don't exist. They're not just something that won't be held against you. They're something that simply don't exist in the record of your life. That's why you got to be careful when you start holding people to account for things God has forgiven them of. You better be very careful. You know, it doesn't matter how much you got on them, how much you've got on record. I remembered I was there. They did this. They did. You better be careful because with the judgment you meet out, you will be judged. So you better know that when you whatever whatever judgment you're sending to folks, see. I know people say, you know, a lot of people are hiding behind the, the words, judge not. The scripture says, judge not that you be not judged. So, so, so yes, we, we have an important responsibility to practice spiritual judgment. But you be careful not to judge people and hold them to things God has forgiven them of. Because you are inviting the judgment of God upon yourself. So, so the scripture is saying, you can go ahead and judge if you want to. Just get ready. Because it's coming on you. If you're going to put yourself in that lofty role, that high and holy role of judge, just be ready because it's going to be required of you. So I hope you, hope you can handle the kind of judgment that you're putting out on other people. Be careful what you hold people to account for when God has forgiven them. Don't, if God forgot it, you need to forget it. If God washed it away, you need to wash it away. If God blotted it out, you need to blot it out. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm going to, I want to point out something. He said, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to go through a couple of other passages where this is, this is told to several different groups. And it is the only thing told to these different groups. They didn't have a variety of options. The, the apostles weren't preaching different messages. They weren't going to different regions and based on what people's experiences were and what their religious background was, tailoring it to meet them. No, 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 no. This is the plan of how to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that he died, was buried, and rose from the dead. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is how we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he died, then I repent. He was buried, then I'm baptized in Jesus' name. He was raised from the dead, then I receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a corresponding. It's when the gospel becomes 
a part of your life and fills you to overflowing. So uh, I, want to, I want to point out to you this Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And I'm going to go further into the book of Acts. But before we do, I want to go to Matthew 28 and 19. Because a lot of people will say, use Matthew 28 19 uh, to somehow... Um, uh, you know, try to find a way to, to not obey Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Matthew chapter 28, and this, of course, is the Great Commission. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore... Because all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name. Everybody say in the name. Of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So many people have looked at that. And thought, okay, well then when I get people into the baptismal waters, I need, to, I need to recite those words. I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That's not what Jesus was saying. And the proof that that is not what Jesus is saying is found in Acts chapter 2. Notice what he said in verse 19. Teach all nations. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2 and look at the upper room. In verse number 5, there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. So when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, it was an immediate fulfillment of Matthew 28, 19. Jesus told him and the apostles, and that's what happened in Acts 2. Peter standing up with the eleven. This is to let you know they were in agreement that this is the Great Commission. We are fulfilling the Great Commission. All the disciples who heard Jesus' words to teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. The Lord's name is not Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The Lord has a name. And there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. His name is Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That is the name that has been given to us for our salvation. That is the name of the Lord that is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are saved. When Peter stood up and answered the question of what shall we do? Men and brethren, what shall we do? That question is posed to the apostles who are equipped with the Great Commission. And the response is in accordance with what Jesus had said. He said, teach all nations. Teach them. Don't just baptize them. Teach them. And when you do, baptize them in the name. Of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So what Peter is doing is teaching the nations. This Jesus whom you have crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. He's teaching the nations when he said David was speaking concerning his resurrection. Devout Jews out of every nation under heaven are there. The Great Commission is being fulfilled in the upper room. He is teaching every nation, all nations, about the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And he's letting them know when he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, he's teaching them what is that name of the Father? And what is that name of the Son? And what is that name of the Holy Ghost? Folks, there aren't three gods and there are not three persons in a Godhead. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. I'm going to tell you, you better believe it. The devils believe it and they tremble. The idea that 
that the term God is just some kind of an overarching reference to some higher power and that there are three persons within that one God. That is paganism. That is heathenism. And it should have been rejected in the Protestant Reformation. It is the final piece that concludes the protest of that heathenistic teaching. And that's why people have been so greatly persecuted for it and discarded, discarded as cultic in their thinking, treating them the same way the original Protestants were treated by the Roman Catholic Church, saying that they're heretics because they baptized the way the apostles baptized. If you call the one God apostolic believers who baptize in the name of Jesus Christ heretics, you're calling Peter a heretic and you're calling Paul a heretic. And I'll say like Paul said, after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers. Yeah. Hallelujah. Jesus. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost when I say his name. I feel the Holy Ghost when I say his name. Hallelujah. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is magnificent. His name is glorious. I said his name is glorious. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost when I say his name. Let's continue on with, with the way the apostles baptized. Because folks, I, I'm, I'm telling you, these apostles were in unison. They were in unity. They stood up before these who were questioning, what shall we do? And they made no two ways about it. They let them know that this is the response, the proper response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 8 and verse 14, the scripture says this, Now when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent it to them, Peter and John. Now, I want to explain something to you. In Acts chapter 2, it was the Jews who received the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said to the church at Rome, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first. So the gospel is going to go to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it's going to start in Jerusalem and it's going to, it's going to fan out from Jerusalem. And, and the next place it goes is Samaria. Now you know. Now you know. Now you know why Jesus insisted on having a conversation with a woman at the well in Samaria. He moved upon her heart with his words when he spoke to her concerning things that only God could know. And she went from that conversation and she said, come see a man who told me everything about myself and she let them know he had to be a prophet of God he had to be the chosen one and what that was doing was setting the stage for what would happen in Acts chapter 8 when the Bible says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them and the people with one accord verse 6 gave heed unto those things which Philip spake hearing and seeing the miracles which he did Unclean spirits were crying with loud voice and came out of many that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsies that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. He means Simon the sorcerer came forth. And, and, and that's a whole other story. But he tried, he had, he had bewitched the whole city of Samaria. And the Samaritans were, were part Jew, part Gentile. And so it went, started with the Jews, and then it went to the Samaritans, who were, were part Jew and part Gentile. And they were looked down upon by the Jews. And, and, and Simon had bewitched all of the Samaritans with his sorceries. But when he saw that after Philip had preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized in Jesus' name, you're going to see that in a moment, they were, Peter and John were dispatched to Samaria so that the people who had been baptized in Jesus' name could receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Oh, praise God. And Simon the sorcerer, when he saw that, that they were filled with the Holy Ghost as Peter and John would lay their hands upon them, he wondered at it and said, why don't you give me this miracle, this great power? I'll give you money for it. And Peter said, your money perish with you. I perceive that you were in the bond of uh, gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. 
But look at what happens in verse 14. When the apostles, first of all, I'll just tell you what happened with Simon the sorcerer. Simon himself believed also and was baptized. Oh, hallelujah. You want to shut down ungodliness, preach the gospel to them. You don't have to get in fist fights with folks and, and, and go beat everybody up with your Thompson chain. You just preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, it'll prick the hearts of people. You can't imagine it would prick their heart. Oh, hallelujah. Just preach the gospel. Live the gospel. Declare the gospel. And it makes a difference in people's lives. When the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Notice verse 16. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Philip went down into Samaria, and when people believed, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, and Peter and John were dispatched to pray for them that they might receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It was not one of these. Philip didn't go down and preach Jesus and everybody said they believed and he came running back and said, everybody down there believes, so we're good. No, if they believe, the evidence of their belief is that they are baptized in Jesus' name. And then they are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Verse 17, then laid their hands on them and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, I, 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 I'm gonna talk about the Holy Ghost at, a, at another Bible study. Y'all, don't, don't get me going here on the Holy Ghost because we'll just have to go another hour and y'all, we'll do that on another day. But, but I love it when I get to talking about what God has done for people. Hallelujah. I, it's amazing. The way the devil fights the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. The way the devil fights baptism in Jesus' name. You would think all of Christianity would be clamoring to be baptized in the name of the one who died for them. Oh, hallelujah. But it's a deception of the enemy. Acts chapter 10, Peter, the Jews have received the Holy Ghost and have been baptized in Jesus' name in Acts chapter 2. The Samaritans, who are part Jew, part Gentile, have received the Holy Ghost and been baptized in Jesus' name in Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 10, it's going to be the first time that the Gentiles, which in, 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 in the Bible, there are two types of people, Jews and everybody else. Jews and Gentiles. That's, that's, there's Jews, and then there's all of us. That's the way it was in the, in the Bible. And because God chose the people who were descendants of Abraham and Sarah, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. He chose them to pour out his Holy Spirit upon them. Not so they could hold it to themselves, but so it could start there and go out into all the world. Amen. Peter is not yet understanding of this, even though he just got done preaching a barn burner of a message that God's going to pour out his Spirit upon all flesh. And he's so anointed he doesn't even know what came out of his mouth. And now he's up on the rooftop praying and he's in a trance and a sheet is let down and all manner of unclean uh, food is laid before him. And God shocks him by saying, rise, Peter, slay and eat. And Peter isn't understanding the metaphor and is saying, absolutely not. You've got to be kidding. I've been taught. From childhood, I cannot touch these things. And the Lord said, rise, Peter, slay and eat. Rise, Peter, slay and eat. Call not what I have cleansed common or unclean. And then God switched the allegory on him and said, there are three men that are at the door waiting to talk to you. There are men that are going to say something to you, ask something of you. And when they do, go with them. I'm in this. That's when Peter goes down and is, and is confronted with the question. Again, notice that, that Peter had a prejudice in his heart toward the Gentiles. He didn't believe the Gentiles could have this marvelous gift. He didn't believe that even though he had said that his spirit would fall upon all flesh, he just couldn't see that it could happen. And furthermore, there was a political fallout that could take place because the already the early church was struggling with the idea that Gentiles could even receive this. And so Peter thought, man, they're going to they're gonna cut me off if I go preaching to the Gentiles. He didn't even know he had this prejudice in his heart. But he comes down to that door and here are these men and they said, we come to you from the house of Cornelius 
who is a devout man. Listen to the description that the Bible gives of Cornelius. Before you think, well, I've already got a relationship with God. I don't need this apostolic message. Before you start thinking that, listen to the way that this, the scripture uh, details the life of Cornelius. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man. He was devout and one that feared God with all his house. He's not Jewish. He's not Christian. He is one that fears God with all his house. I don't know. I don't know what he is. I just know that he's a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. And, and listen, there are people who don't know who to talk to, but God knows who they're trying to talk to. And God will reveal himself to those people. That doesn't mean, listen, that doesn't mean they're saved. That doesn't mean they're okay where they are. It means that God wants to reach them. He prayed to God always. He saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him, saying unto him, Cornelius, when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? He said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. When he goes, and, and, and little does he know that in the meantime, while these guys are walking, God is smacking Peter around saying, call not what I have cleansed. Come and run clean. Get up. Get up. You need to slay and eat. You need to be ready. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mess with you. I'm going to uproot all of your misconceptions and get your heart ready to love people who you never loved before. And when Peter walks down there, he sees these people who are Gentiles, and they're saying, we're just here to tell you that, that we're from the house of Cornelius, and he saw in a vision an angel, and the angel said to come tell you that you have something for him. And Peter just got done wrestling, got up on the rooftop. I mean, his hair's all disheveled, his tie's all whopper-jawed, and he's trying to figure out what these people are wanting, and he realizes that's what God was talking about. So Peter comes down to the house of Cornelius and he preaches to them the same thing he preached on the day of Pentecost. And, and, and what's awesome, what's awesome about this is that on the day of Pentecost, notice, he gets done preaching Jesus and they're pricked in their heart and they said, what shall we do? And Peter says, one, two, three, repent, be baptized, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 10, they didn't even get a chance to say, what shall we do? Their heart was so hungry. Their mind was so permeated with, I need God, I need God. I don't know what's going on. I just need something. I need the Lord to intervene in my life. And while they heard the preaching of Jesus Christ, notice what Peter is saying. He's saying, that word I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all these things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, who they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day, showed him openly, not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach unto the people. He commanded us to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. They of the circumcision, the Jews, which believed, had just received it themselves, were astonished. They're looking at this crowd of Gentiles, these, these people of Italian descent, and they're just, they're amazed because the same Holy Ghost that filled them and they spoke with other tongues has now filled these people, and they're astonished. And Peter, 
because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they, you know how they knew they had the Holy Ghost? We're going to get into this later on. Don't get me started. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Hallelujah. Then answered Peter, can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he, now verse 48, you got verse 48 up there? And he requested of them. No, let's see. And he negotiated with them. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Now, we know what the name of the Lord is. I got to tell you a funny story real quick. I'm a big KJV guy. I like the, I like the these and the thous. I love this King James Version. I love it. I love to quote it. I just like the way it sounds. And, and, and it's authentic, and I love it. And uh, I was talking to someone one day I was preaching in Arkansas at a camp meeting. It was a young lady, and she said, I'm, I'm having trouble believing. She said, I feel convicted, but I don't know if I should be baptized. I said, we're going to teach you a quick Bible study on baptism. And I was in the altar area, and music was playing, and, and there were a few folks gathered around. And I said, uh, can I have your Bible? And she handed me her Bible, and it was a New International Version. I thought, oh, Lord, have mercy. I don't know if we're going to get it across with this. And I, and I was... I was taking her through the, through the book of the Acts of the Apostles, and when I came to Acts chapter 10, where it says he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord, in the NIV it says he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. I said, all right. Couldn't have said it better, than, better myself. Because that, that's exactly what he was telling them to do, to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Who, got, who had to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? The Jews did. Who else? The Samaritans did. Who else? The Gentiles did. Now notice what happens in Acts chapter 19. Notice what happens in Acts chapter 19. The Bible says, It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, and we, we'll talk about Apollos uh, at another time as well, uh, because, well, let's just do it right now. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. There was a certain Jew named Apollos who was born at Alexandria. He was, an, listen to this, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures. He came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the spirit, listen to this, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. I mean, do you know how many apostolics would look at a guy like that and say, oh, yeah, he's fine. Because look, at he's eloquent. He's instructed in the way of the Lord. He's fervent in the spirit. He speaks and teaches diligently the things of the Lord. But he only knew the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue concerning the baptism of John. Whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto this man who was instructed in the way of the Lord, fervent in the spirit, eloquent, who, who taught and spake diligently the things of the Lord, and they expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace, for he mightily convinced the Jews. And that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Messiah. Oh, hallelujah. Listen, listen, it's, it's great. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of people who are of a Christian persuasion who are mighty in the scriptures, eloquent, instructed in the way of the Lord, fervent in the spirit, who can speak and teach diligently the things of the Lord. Don't think that means they don't need to be baptized in Jesus' name. And don't think that means they don't need to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Don't think that means that they're just fine. All of those things are great. But I, it, is, it is a sad thing when somebody who has a revelation of Jesus' name, baptism, and the mighty God in Christ can look upon somebody who fits the qualifications of Apollos and think that they somehow are, are inferior because of the fact that this person is so eloquent and instructed and mighty in the scriptures. No, 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 no. This is a revelation. We are to be buried in his name, filled with his spirit. 
And, and, and the, the, uh, Luke, in writing the book of Acts, he didn't take shots at Apollos. He didn't act like Paulus was some, some uh, you know, some uh, problem. He just simply said he's got all these qualifications. But he still needed to have the way of God expounded more perfectly unto him. Is it okay if we keep growing? Who among us can say, I have arrived? Who among us can say that because God has shown me this and God has shown me that, that I need nothing else? No, each and every one of us need to let the word of God completely wash over us. Verse 1 of Acts chapter 19, it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? They said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now they knew about the Holy Ghost. When they said we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost, they weren't saying, Are you, what Holy Ghost? They were saying, we aren't, has it been poured out yet? Has the Holy Ghost been poured out yet? We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? They said unto John's baptism. Oh, they knew about the Holy Ghost. Paul said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard on this, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I, I do need to come to a close. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 11. Or verse 10, let's do verse 10. We need, to, we need to let this be a part of our thinking every day. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Hallelujah. What he's telling them is the one who was crucified for you, that's whose name you're baptized into. Hallelujah. It is a legal transaction. It is a legal transaction. He paid it all. It is his name that is on the document. It is his name that covers our multitude of sins. And when we stand before God in judgment, we had better have the name of Jesus Christ upon our life. It is the equivalent of when Moses painted the blood of the lamb upon the doorposts of the home in the land of Egypt. And when the death angel looked upon the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass I will pass. I will pass over you. Oh, hallelujah. Can we stand to our feet and give God praise right now? Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's lift up our hands unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. 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 Oh, hallelujah. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, you ought to give God some praise right now. That's a beautiful thing. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad that I've been buried in the name of the Lord. I'm so glad I've been buried in the name of the Lord. I'm so glad that he saw fit to bring me out of darkness and place me into his marvelous light. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Don't ever, don't ever allow yourself to be deceived by a situation where 
someone who you can tell is mighty in the scriptures and eloquent and instructed in the way of the Lord. That because they don't understand the power of Acts 2.38, don't let that deceive you into thinking Acts 2.38 is not as important as you know it is. Don't let that deceive you. Instead, pray that there will be a revelation of the name of Jesus Christ that will sweep over. Hallelujah. It's not time for the apostolic church to backslide from it. It's time for the apostolic church to lift it high and declare it with love and with power and with a sound mind. Hallelujah. It's not time for us to get wishy-washy. It's time for us to be strong and hold fast the profession of our faith. The question of what shall we do, we know what we shall do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands unto the Lord one more time. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's worship the Lord right now. Let's worship the Lord right now. Come on, lift up your hands unto the Lord and give him praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. Give him praise. <laughs> If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, I want, you to, I want you to come so we can baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Come on, that's it. God can do it right now. God can fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. He can do it right now. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Come on, let's worship Jesus Christ in this house. Let's worship Jesus Christ in this house. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, break every chain, break every chain.